Well, good morning, Living Hope Columbus family and friends. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today, whether you're live with us here on YouTube, maybe you're watching later, listening to our podcast, or even potentially on the radio. We're so glad that you have tuned in today and chosen to worship with us. I want to remind us of the same thing that I have said over and over and over for these past nearly three months, that the gospel is resilient, the word of God cannot be stopped, And the local church is alive and well during these times. Uh, My name is Aaron. I get the privilege and the honor of serving as the teaching pastor here. And again, I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open up with me or turn it on to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is we're continuing our journey through this book of Philippians. This is week number 6 of this journey through this book. We're going to look at two verses this morning, two verses in Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21. And God's word says this through the apostle Paul. It says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for this morning, Father, for this privilege that we have to worship you. And Jesus, I pray now as we just continue, Lord, our our slow walk through the book of Philippians, that your spirit would continue to teach us today, continue to draw us closer to Jesus this morning. Father, give us the ears we need to hear your word, the hearts to receive it, hands and feet to live it out as we chase Jesus day by day. Father, thanks for your word and the gift that it is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, if you've followed television anytime recently on social media, television, different radio outlets, I am sure that you're aware that there's been a recent documentary that has been released about Michael Jordan. It's a documentary that's been released, and it's really highlighting and interviewing some of the people about that story when Michael Jordan's glory days with the Chicago Bulls in the early 90s. Now, You're probably wondering this morning, if you've been part of Living Hope for any length of time, you know, Aaron, you are not a sports fan. How do you even know who Michael Jordan is, who the Chicago Bulls are, even that he was one of their, the number one player in all of the NBA during that entire time? I I know a few little things about sports and basketball, but as I've been seeing those previews, looking back on this documentary, I believe it's called The Last Dance. You can correct me in the comments if I got that wrong. It's brought back some fond memories of my childhood, just thinking back to when I was 11 years old. I remember my next door neighbor, Danny. Danny used to have this basketball hoop set up in his driveway around the corner of his house, and we would go out there nearly every weekend evening. There was one small light that would light up his whole driveway, a little jankety basketball hoop out there, and we would pretend that we were the Chicago Bulls. My buddy Danny was always Michael Jordan. I was Scottie Pippen. And then we had this other friend that would show up occasionally that was Dennis Rodman. It just seemed fitting at the time. And during those days, on those Friday nights and Saturday nights, we would crank up the song, I Believe I Can Fly, from the movie Space Jam, if you've ever seen that movie before. And we believed with all of our hearts that we were going to be just like Mike, that we were going to be Michael Jordan someday if we practiced hard enough. Man, we would lower that basketball hoop to a whopping six feet and dunk that ball, doing whatever we could to be just like Michael Jordan. And, you know, it just brought back those fond memories, and I'm sure it did for some of you as well, that growing up, we've all had different role models that we looked up to. We just wanted to be like certain people in our childhood. 
And now that I've grown up and walking with Jesus for several years now, as I continue to read the book of Philippians, there's times when we're going to be reading through this book, and we really have in these first 21 verses so far, that we see the Apostle Paul literally putting himself out there with complete confidence as he's writing to this church in Philippi. This man, Paul, is on house arrest in Rome. He is leading countless guards to Jesus, discipling people like crazy and expanding the kingdom of God from his living room. And without sounding too cliche this morning, Paul really does set the tone and pace and shows us a model here of what Christian living should look like. And when I read this book and I continue to journey through these verses, I can't help but thinking to myself, and I've wrote this down several times, I want to be just like that. I want to be like Paul is in this book of Philippians. And we see in these two verses today, verses 20 and 21, this attitude that Paul continues to emit in regard to his situation and really what it looks like to closely walk with Jesus despite external circumstances. And really the thing that Paul phrases in these couple of verses here, friends, when we read these verses and we really dive into them, they should stop us in our tracks. These attitudes that that Paul was choosing to omit today, I hope as we continue to read them and as we dive into them and as we process these two verses, that it causes you and I to say, man, I want to be just like that. I want to walk with Jesus just like Paul did here in Philippians. What were these three attitudes that Paul shows us here in verses 20 and 21? Let me just highlight these real quick, and we're going to dive into them a little bit deeper. The first one is this, verse 20. Paul says, I will not be ashamed about anything. I won't be ashamed about anything. Second one in verse 20, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Whether it's by life or by death, Jesus will be honored. Third one in verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We make sure we understand those fully, and then we're going to break them down a little bit more in depth today. When Paul says, I will not be ashamed of anything, what's he mean there? He says, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, I will choose to honor Jesus above everything, every time, everywhere, every single situation, no matter what. I'm always going to choose Jesus, period. Here's the second thing in there, Paul says, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What does that mean? If it costs me to live for Jesus, so be it. No matter what it costs, I'm going to choose Jesus. And if Jesus allows me to continue to serve him completely unhindered, so be it. I'm going to continue to serve Jesus. Here's the third one. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does he tell us there? At the end of the day, I'm with Jesus. And if that day sometime ends and my life ceases to be, I'm with Jesus. That's good enough for me. But as we continue to read those verses and process them, it really should overwhelm us as Jesus followers. Because those three attitudes in those two verses, friends, they're really the life and attitude of a Christian. That's the kind of stuff we read in books, if we're honest. That's the kind of stuff that we see from Christians living overseas that we read blogs about or watch videos on. But this is the kind of Christian living that Jesus is calling you and I to. This is the kind of stuff that's easy to preach and hard to live. It's easy to read and hard to do. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus calls us to it. 
I've been asking myself two simple questions as I processed these verses this week. How do you really live that way? What does it take? How do you really live that way and what does it take? And Paul gives us three clues in these verses that I want us to to really process through today. And it's this. Point number one is this. Don't forget who you were. Don't forget who you were. Look at verse 20 again. My eager expectation and my eager hope is what? That I wouldn't be ashamed of anything. If you've sat under my preaching or ministry for any length of time, my story is likely familiar to you. I was blessed by Jesus to grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a strong local church. I started following Jesus at the age of 15, almost 16 years old. And when I made that decision and Jesus intersected my path and changed my life, I have never been the same. I realized this week I've actually been walking with Jesus longer than I haven't been walking with Jesus. Almost 17 years at this point. But can I tell you today that something that the Lord has continued to teach me is that one of the greatest hindrances that I face, and I think Paul addresses here in these verses, to walking confidently with Jesus and to living passionately for Jesus, here's what it is. I often forget what Jesus saved me from. I've been walking with Jesus for so long now that I often forget what Jesus saved me from. I often forget who I was before I knew Jesus. Let me explain this to you. Acts chapter 6 and 7. Shortly after the church was started in Acts chapter 1, the Bible teaches us through Luke in the book of Acts that persecution began to rain down on the local church. Jesus told these individuals this was going to happen. John 16, verse 33, troubles are going to come your way. You will have trouble in this world. Now by Acts chapter 6 and 7, so we're only about five chapters away from the start of the church, that was becoming a reality in their lives. One of these individuals that faced that specifically, a guy named Stephen. Acts chapter 6, if you want to read this more in depth. Acts chapter 6 says that Stephen uh, is teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel to a group of people. They get angry about it. Stephen's taken to the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership of the day. Stephen takes advantage of the opportunity, preaches the gospel to those individuals. They lose their minds. They end up stoning Stephen, and Stephen loses his life. There in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we're introduced to a new person at the end of Stephen's story, a a young man named Saul, who we now know as Paul. Acts chapter 7 verse 58 says this, they dragged Stephen out of the city, they began to stone him, so they're killing Stephen in this moment, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of who? A young man named Saul. You jump forward one chapter to Acts chapter 8. The Bible says that Saul, or Paul as we now know him, declares war on Jesus and the church. Acts 8 verse 3. Saul, or Paul, however, was ravaging the church. That's strong language there that Luke uses. He would enter house after house, and what would he do? He would drag off men and women, those who were Christians, and he would put them in prison. So we've gone from Acts 6 to Acts 8 at this point. Paul is ravaging the local church. Fast forward one chapter, Acts 9. Paul's headed to Damascus. He has orders to continue to ravage the church. But in an act of grace, Jesus intersects his path and changes his life. The Bible says in a moment that Paul goes from an enemy of Jesus to a friend of Jesus. Listen. When Paul pens these words in Philippians 1.20 that his expectation and his hope is that he wouldn't be ashamed of anything as it relates to his walk with Jesus, 
He wanted Jesus to be first and foremost in everything. Why? Because I don't think Paul ever got over what happened in Acts chapter 9. When Jesus changed his life in Acts chapter 9, I don't think Paul ever got over his life being interrupted by the Savior of the world. Let me prove it to you. Galatians 1, 15 and 16, Paul wrote in a different letter to the church in Galatia. But when God, who formed me from my mother's womb, set me apart and called me by his grace, salvation is an act of grace by God extended to you. What does he say? God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Why? So I could preach the gospel among the Gentiles. Paul knew he didn't deserve that grace. He was extended that grace and he was going to live in that grace. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, as Paul writes to Timothy, what does he say? This saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to do what? Save sinners. And then he adds this little tag on it that I'm showing y'all. He didn't get over Acts chapter 9. What's he say? I'm the worst of them. Paul says in other places in the scripture that he is the chief of sinners. When Paul tells us in Philippians 1 verse 20 that he doesn't want to be ashamed about anything, Friends, that word literally means I don't want anything to get in the way of me serving Jesus. He was overwhelmed by grace, and that pushed him to confidently serve his Savior. I've asked myself this question this week. Can the same be said about me? Or have I gotten over my Acts chapter 9 moment when as a 15-year-old kid, Jesus intersected my life? And you can't forget who you were and what Jesus saved you from. What was our question? How do you really live like Paul lived? What does it take? Here's the second point. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget whose you are. Verse 20, the second part. But that now as always with all courage, what's Paul say? That Christ would be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, I told you all a couple of weeks ago uh, about how I like my Pop-Tarts. I received several messages of judgment and hate. I know who you are. I know how to eat Pop-Tarts, y'all don't, and we're just going to leave it at that. But I told you how I like my Pop-Tarts. I want to share with you today another insight into my life. I want you to get to know me this morning. So I'm going to share with you how I like my waffles. If you continue to judge me, I can take it in Jesus' name. I will forgive you. It'll be, it'll be fine. Now, I'm pretty normal when it comes to waffles, kind of. You see, for me, I, I like the, the classic Eggo waffle. You put that guy in the toaster, you get that light golden brown crisp on that guy, making some of y'all hungry right now. And then that, that waffle pops out. It's nice and warm and toasty and hot. You put it on the plate, and then you got to put butter on it in Jesus' name, right? We know how to make waffles around here. But there's a science to how you butter a waffle, all right? If you don't do this correctly, you're here to learn this morning. We're going to teach you how to butter a waffle. You see, a waffle has been specifically and scientifically engineered to be covered with several small little compartments on the front of that waffle. Now, some of y'all, y'all are just cannibals, and you take that butter, and you just slather that guy on there. You put syrup on it, and you go to town. Y'all need to repent. That's not how you butter a waffle. Because a waffle has compartments, the way that I butter a waffle is you take butter, and you ensure that every single compartment on that waffle is evenly distributed and full of butter. Some of y'all are thinking right now, dude, between the Pop-Tarts and the waffles, it's a miracle that you're alive and standing right now. So once you fill that guy up with all of the butter, then you got to take the syrup, and the syrup has to do the exact same thing. You can't just put lines of syrup on your, on your waffle. You actually have to fill every single individual compartment with syrup to make sure that there's an even distribution of butter and syrup on top of your waffle. 
Now, I'm telling you, if you've never done a waffle this way, you're doing it wrong. You can judge me. I'm just telling you. So here, what's the point? You say, Aaron, why do you keep telling us food stories? Because you remember them. What's the point of this? In most cases, you and I live our life in compartments. Think about it. You got your job compartment that makes up your nine to five on your Monday through Friday. You got your family compartment that makes up six to 9.30, Monday through Friday in the evenings, and then Saturday during the day. That's another compartment. You got your church compartment that takes up your, your 10.15 to 11.15 on Sunday mornings. You got your hobby compartment that maybe in the evenings a couple nights a week or maybe in the early in the mornings you, you have that compartment where you participate in a hobby. You have your marriage compartment where each week you're taking intentional time in that compartment to invest in your marriage. And there's times, here's what happens. There's times that we have all these various compartments in which we live and what happens? Occasionally those compartments, they overlap. They mix together. That's okay. That's part of the human experience. But Paul clues us in on something so significant here. There's one compartment that should transcend every other compartment. What is it? It's Jesus. And I know that sounds simple. It's like we're like, I know that. But how often do we live it? Because I don't know about you, but here's what I can be guilty of doing. Jesus will get the compartment that I give him for 10 minutes in my morning before I go off and do what I need to do for my day. He gets that little compartment. Then I'll give Jesus that compartment on Sunday that's reserved for church. He gets 10.15 to 11.15. But my gosh, if that service goes over one minute, Jesus, you're, you're stepping out of your compartment. We put Jesus in this compartment, but listen, Jesus was never meant to just have a compartment. Paul reminds us here, no, Jesus is meant to transcend every single area of your life. He doesn't get a compartment. He invades the entire thing. When Paul says here that he wants Jesus to, quote, be highly honored in his body, that's a, that's a Greek word that means I want Jesus to be magnified, and bigger than everything else. The root of that Greek word that he chooses to use here in Philippians 1.20 is where we get our word mega. This word, idea of being big, bigger than everything else, magnified. Nothing is bigger. Paul says, I want Jesus to be mega in my life, magnified, bigger. He's not just part of it. He is it. And then everything else has compartments around it. Let's talk about this idea for just a moment. I think this is important. There's this idea circulating in our culture. It has been for, for ages. I think it's just being more magnified in our day and age that is a very me-centric idea. It's all over our marketing. You go to a restaurant, have it your way. You deserve this. Do what's right for you. If you're not happy, you shouldn't do it. We've heard it all. This idea that culture is telling us right now we're the center of our own universe. We're the God of our own life. So if it doesn't benefit you, if it doesn't make you happy, if it doesn't do something for you, you know what? Just scrap it because you're God and you should do what's good for you. What's Paul tell us though? Paul says, nah, actually, no. Paul says, it's, this life is not about me. It's not about you. He says, in, in my life, in my body, Jesus will be big. He's going to be bigger than everything. He's going to be more important than everything. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. No matter what comes my way, the good or the bad, the easy or the hard, Paul says Jesus is going to be big. 
He's going to be magnified because it's not my life. And I've resolved to serve Jesus with everything I have. Friends, that's a hard choice to make. What's our third one? How do we really live like Paul? What does it take? Third thing and we're done. Don't forget where you're going. Don't forget where you're going. Verse 21, Paul says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to tell you something this morning. I don't say this out of, of pride or out of arrogance in any way, shape, or form. I simply want to brag on Jesus for a moment. God has blessed me with a pretty awesome life, pretty great life. As I was writing some of these notes this week, I just wrote down a few things that I realized I'm blessed with, to brag on Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus and what he's allowed me to do. I'm married to my best friend. My, I have two beautiful daughters. Thank God they look like my wife and not me. Praise Jesus. I live in a nice neighborhood. I drive two cars that only break down three times a year. Could be four. It's only three. Praise the Lord. I got a pretty good life. I've had the privilege and the opportunity to literally travel around the world and preach the gospel. Right now, I'm, I'm literally living a dream. Some of you all are part of this Living Hope Columbus story, and it's just another Sunday for you. For me, I'm living a dream that God put on my heart 10 years ago. Walking down a backcountry road in Lancaster, Ohio, I knew God called me to plant a church. 10 years later, it's becoming a reality. I'm literally living in the middle of a dream that God put on my heart. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most stressful. I'm losing all my hair. I'm turning gray, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. God has richly blessed me. Even on the tough days, God has richly blessed me. But I want you to hear this. While I love my life that God has allowed me to live, I am by no way, shape, or form bound to this. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that down today because this is one of the most important principles that you're going to see here in Philippians 1 verses 20 and 21. I love my life, but I was never meant to be bound to it. Friends, if there's anything I've said this morning, it's going to be this one that is so much easier to preach than it is to live. Let's pray Jesus fills in the gaps here for us in just a moment. I think too often I find myself, and I'm sure you would echo the same sentiment, that I am so in love with my life that it becomes difficult to fully submit to the will of Jesus. Often I am so loved with the blessings of my life that I forget that I'm supposed to be in love with the blessor of my life. I'm so in love with the things that God has blessed me with that I'm unwilling to fully submit to the lordship of Jesus. And can I tell you, that is so dangerous for the Christian. That is so dangerous for you and me. When Paul tells us in verse 20, if I'm alive, I'm going to serve Jesus. He says, if my life ends, I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay, praise Jesus. Alive or not, I'm with Jesus and for Jesus, and that's it. Friends, if we want to have the attitude that Paul has in these verses, can I give us a clue here? Again, easier to preach, harder to live. Don't be so in love with your life that you're not willing to risk it all for the Son of God. Don't be so in love with your life that you're not willing to risk it all for Jesus. I don't know about you, 
But I don't want to cruise off into heaven sometime in the future with my helmet on and my knee pads on and my shin guards and my elbow pads and my mouthpiece and my ear guards, because that's probably a thing, and my back brace and my neck brace and my, my, my earplugs. I don't know, all of those crazy things. I don't want to cruise off into eternity wearing all that stuff and go, hey, Jesus, I made it. That's not Christian living. And Jesus hasn't called us to that. We weren't made for that. No, instead, in 2 Timothy, Paul reminds us, no, no, no. We were meant to cruise in heaven on an empty tank, tired, fatigued, worn out, beaten, and bruised, and we cross over into the pearly gates, and Jesus says, well done. Enter into the rest awaiting for you. Enter into the rest that I've prepared for you. Paul says, you've got to give it all. Put it all on the line for Jesus, for his glory, for eternity, friends. I'm awaiting that day where Jesus says, well done. I don't want to hear something like, well, at least you made it. What does it take to live like this? Paul shows us here in these verses. We can't forget who we were, what we've been saved from. We can't forget whose we are, and we can't forget where we're going. I don't know about you this morning, but I know for me personally, as I read these verses, I'm convicted in the depths of my soul that I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. But I'm going to give it all I have for Jesus because he's worth it. Heaven awaits you and me. The mission isn't over, the gospel still changes lives. I'm going to get after it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word for this time. God, for your gospel and that it still changes hearts. May we never get over Jesus, Father. May we never be satisfied with, with how we're living now, Lord. But may we always chase with complete confidence the will and the calling of the gospel to take it to the world for the glory of Jesus for eternity. I never want to be content, Lord, with where I'm at with my relationship with you. But I always want to press the pedal to the floor a little bit more and get after it like you've called me to. Father, I pray that your word would not fall on deaf ears today, Father, but that it would motivate us to action, that it would drive us towards mission, and it would give us an urgency for the gospel. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.